there. Splendid day for it. Thank you to Stephen for three hours of wondrous music. He's given us a wave. He's had a good time. And if you want to see all of the tracks that he played, you can go onto the programs and playlist tab on the FBI Radio website and check out all of the stuff he's played. Fun for your very own, maybe even. And uh, my guest today on Out of the Box is a Jamaican-American chef. His, he began his career at age 10 in his family's West Indian restaurant in Miami and New York, where his family catered for the island diaspora including Bob Marley's family. Since then, he's gone on a 35 countries food safari. He's worked in restaurants all around the world and has been head chef everywhere, from intimate wine cellars to the film sets of The Great Gatsby and Mission Impossible 2. His name is Damien Brown. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So what kind of tracks do you, do you have for us today? Well, uh, I brought in um, a few tracks that um, reminds me a lot of, you know, home, working in the kitchen, being around food, being around interesting people that have brought their kind of music. Um, yeah, so, you know, hopefully your listeners will dig it as well because uh, all these tunes uh, means a lot to me. Fantastic. Yeah, they definitely have a flavor, which is probably good for interviewing a chef like yourself. And so the first track we've got to play is Here I Come by Dennis Brown. And why this one? Uh, well, the title itself, it's, you know, here I come now. It's uh, introducing myself to you and the listeners. And um, it, it's Dennis Brown is an absolute legend. We obviously share the same last name, no relation. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, check it out. It's, it's, um, it, it's a great way to start the morning in the kitchen. Wonderful. Okay, on FBI 94.5. Love and hate can never be friends oh no oh no here i come with love and not hatred show the goodness and mercy shall follow i all the days of my life
Too chillin' here. Might just uh, play some tracks for the rest of the hour. So relaxed. Thanks for bringing that one in, Damien. My pleasure. So Damien Brown is a chef, a Jamaican-American chef, and that was a track brought over from Jamaica. That's right. Indeed. And so I'd like to actually talk a bit about Jamaica. I feel like I'm a little bit out of the loop, and I'm not sure if everyone else is. I, I don't have a great idea of the the history in, in Jamaica. And when you were growing up there, I mean, you, you left when you were eight? Yes. And what kind of happened in the lead up to that? I mean, what was your young life there like? Um, well, the young life in Jamaica at the time was uh, was was pretty rough. Um, you know, at one stage in my life there, I was actually homeless. And Jamaica was going through a transition in the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of political warfare. And, uh, and so, you know, there, there was a lot of instance... Um, you know, for us, uh, us meaning my family, um, that we had to we had to hide. Um, you know, because our fathers at the time were uh, like you know leaders of that particular town, that political party. You know, like a sub uh, voting station kind of thing. And, okay, um, so it was like a political warfare between two different parties. Yeah, what what yeah. were the parties like? What were they What were they standing for? Uh the JLP, uh, Jamaica Labour Party, and the PNP, the People's National Party, it's, you know, in, in times now we can say the JLP was more uh, Republican. Um, we can say the PNP was more Democratic. Um, we were PNP, of course, so <laughs> probably born Democrats. Um, so, yeah, and, and they just did not see eye to eye with a lot of things and because our fathers were influential with uh, that movement, um, it put their lives at risk and ours at risk at times. And uh, there was an instant where, you know, we were actually rolled up in rug and hidden under the cellar of the house because they came looking for our fathers and, uh, you know, they weren't there. And the next thing to them was the air of you know what they were fighting for which is their son so our mothers and aunties were quite worried and um yeah that's what we had to do we had to hide wow um, so you were like seven rolled up in a rug and hidden yeah underneath the house because a lot of the some of the houses there are like that of the queenslanders you know where oh, they're yeah. raised mm -hmm. uh, you know to allow circulation um so yeah that was the most severe instance that i can remember all the times it was just getting on a bus and going to the country and hiding at grandmother's place or that kind of stuff. So those were the early days in Jamaica. Um, you know, it, it was rough. And, um, you know, uh, the music had a lot to do with, uh, with it. Bob Marley, of course, uh, that was close to the time where, you know, he was sick, but still fighting the cause of equality amongst the politicians. Um, and, you know, through his passing, um, you know, it, it, kind of put a band-aid on the situation in Jamaica at the time and uh, you know it was a pretty sad time but um, you know people both sides didn't have the fight in them anymore to carry on for that period of time when we've lost such a great and influential person. So do you remember the actual kind of feeling of I guess national mourning when Bob Marley passed? You would have been quite young. Yeah yeah I was young um, you know it's it's I never get uh, tired of, of that story it always bring goosebumps and a bit emotion deep down because uh you know it's you just remember seeing grown men cry you know uh, grown men break down uh grown women uh and at the time um you know i knew what had happened i knew how sad everyone was because uh, the country came to a complete stop um you know, I didn't really understand it until I got older, but I knew at that time that something wasn't right. Um, you know, we've lost someone pretty important, you know, seeing my mom break down for someone she's never even met in her life and, uh, and so forth. I remember seeing a lot of 
people, particularly Rastafarians in their full white and red, gold, and green turban around their head, you know, marching, walking, riding, uh, going somewhere. Where they were going, God only knows. But um, yeah, it was it was pretty moving, mm. you know, to to say the least. And um, you know, uh, because of that, at that time, all that political violence I was talking about just there was a huge band-aid put on it and you know and it lasted a good while and during that time opportunities uh you know came about for myself and my family because of such rough times we had that you know money started being put aside and uh one or two family members started to make their way over to you know land of milk and honey they would say uh, <laughs> which was the usa or england for that matter but yeah, Very biblical my, reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, it was quite an exodus then. It was for some that who could afford it. Uh, it mm-hmm. was uh, an exodus because we feared that it would resurface, and so say it, so be it. It did resurface, but thank God, most of my family had already left. Fathers had already gone their separate ways, either mm-hmm. divorced from mum, and you know, and yeah. So it was a new chapter, new beginning. Yeah. Uh, is it was it like an economic decline at the time as well or was it just the political violence was it was Jamaica kind of on the downhill slide because I I do remember you saying just a moment ago that you know Jamaica was quite prosperous. Yeah, yeah, it was. At one stage uh the dollar was worth more than the US dollar. Um and it was the number one tourist destination in the world. So we had our glory days. Um and you know it come the mid-80s then it went on a rapid decline it just went back to what it was in the late uh, 70s and 80s when that whole political warfare started started to brew again and you look at the dollar now I'm, I would only guess now and say it's around the 80 Jamaican dollar to one US mark now so inflation wow. is more than you know two three hundred percent kind of thing on what it used to be that's obscene yeah 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 all right. Well, we've got a we've got a track called Black, Gold, and Green for I guess obvious reasons. Yeah. And Ken Booth. So why this one? Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it, it's a sh- sends a bit of shivers down the spine. You know, uh, th- this man's voice is just remarkable. Um, and yeah, it, it'll pretty much sum up you know uh, Jamaica. You know, the land of black, gold, and green, which is the color of our flag.
Another bit of Jamaica there for you on FBI 94.5. Black, Gold and Green is the name of that track and it's by Ken Booth, brought in by my guest today, Damien Brown, who is a Jamaican-American chef and a really, really good chef. And obviously, like Jamaican cuisine, you know, it's it's got its own cuisine in Jamaica and then the wider Caribbean cuisine, which is what you specialize in. So could we talk a bit about the, the food history of Jamaica? I don't really understand how everything fits together. I mean, till this week, I haven't really known what Jamaican cuisine was. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, the, the Jamaican Caribbean cuisine, it's, it's, you know, I best describe it as a humongous melting pot of uh, the, the countries that colonized the Caribbean, uh, you know, from Spain to France um, to England. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all of their food that they had brought to the island, however, using our ingredients, you know. And then, you know, we touch on one of the most popular food items in the Caribbean, which comes from Jamaica, jerk. Um, you know, jerk, uh, chicken, jerk, pork, that kind of stuff was really started by the, the Maroons. And the, the Maroons were native uh, people of Jamaica from the Arawak Indians. Um, and, and they had escaped the Spanish, uh, you know, slavery that, that inhibited the island. And uh, they went off into the woods and Jamaica never had any pigs there, so the, the Spanish had brought their pigs and they had got away and, you know, got wild and multiplied a lot. So they hunted those pigs and they had this marinade that they used to make to help preserve the meat and smoke the meat, which got its name jerk. And that's what they used to do. They used to cook their food on uh, charcoal, uh, you know, indirect heat and smoke preserve the food and it's still practiced to this day but um yeah that's that's the birthplace of jerk and yeah. any idea why the word jerk i do wonder <laughs> I, I i never really have a clear answer for that one it, it could mean so many things you know uh, jerk some people say it's because of the rapid movement with the food over the uh the cold the indirect heat uh some people say it could have come from the word the, the Dutch word gherkin, uh, which means to yeah. preserve. Um, it's, so th there's so many ways we can translate it, but the most important thing is it's spicy and it's delicious. Cool. So <laughs> not because it's particularly assholey chicken, not because no, it's a jerk. No, 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 not, not a jerk as we know it, <laughs> describing someone you dislike. So, yeah. Fantastic. And so what kind of, when you say that people bought their cooking methods but then used Jamaican ingredients, what's, what's specific to Jamaica? What's like a particularly Jamaican ingredient? Uh... Well, well, here's a good one for you. Um, not many people know, but like pineapple is native to Jamaica, like macadamia is to Australia. However, pineapple grows more prolific in Hawaii, um, you know, places like that. So something like, you know, uh, Kalalu, which is all over the Caribbean. Uh, and then we come back to Jamaica specifically, uh, allspice, pimento, uh, Jamaica pepper is another name for it. That is crucial to the jerk seasoning the jerk marinade the jerk cooking because the berries are used for the marinade and the timber is used to cook the food with as well so uh you know it just intensifies that flavor so you know that kind of ingredient native to us is what we'll use yeah and the national dish of jamaica i found out today is ackee and salt fish and i've never <laughs> heard of ackee before what is this stuff yeah ackee is uh is best described as the look and consistency of scrambled eggs but not the taste of egg. Uh, it's a fruit. It's native to Ghana. Uh, codfish, uh, you know, obviously certainly not from Jamaica. That's from Norway or somewhere like that. So that just clearly shows you things that are brought to the island. Uh, you know, we turn it into our own. And Aki and Soulfish is our national dish. 
Um, I guess this is what you get for being on a kind of a trade route, route as well. You'd get all this different stuff coming through. Yeah, different stuff coming through methods, influences, um, mm. ingredients. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, aki is it's 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 pretty cool because you have to wait until the fruit opens up to pick the fruit. You don't look after it right. It can actually be semi poisonous for you. It's not going to kill you, but it'll cause serious upset tummy. So it's it's you know pretty skillful work required yeah. into. And Aki, uh, you can't get it in Australia, can you? I mean, you know, it's like I've never heard of it here. How do you get it if you're trying to cook with Aki in, in your cuisine that you make in Sydney? Um, it's, you can buy it. Uh, it's, it comes in the can um, and, it's, and it's good. It's, it's the, the product in the can is it's pretty good um, because uh, I don't know of any Aki plantations here or anyone that grows Aki. Um, but yeah, you can get it here in the can and uh, use it, but it, it's not cheap because of the whole seasonal availability mm -hmm. of it, uh, the supply and demand, the process to look after it and so forth. But um, I do have a friend that says he did see an Aki tree in, in cans. Um, so, you know, maybe Up in one... Queensland, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe one day, you know, that should be a, a trip that I should take to witness this Aki tree and a selfie of it. You know. <laughs> yeah. A pilgrimage to a the Aki pilgrimage tree. Pilgrimage to the Aki of tree. Course. That's right. It's time for a track. So uh, you've brought in a Bob Marley song, and can you tell me what this one means to you? Um, yeah. So survival. Um, you know, I'm surviving. Um, it, it's a great tune. It's it's also a really good tune that you know I'm doing a long road trip, which I've done a lot of these, being in Australia. Um, you know, I, I like to start the morning, the day off with this tune, um, survival. So here we go. Shed rock me, shed and the bend. 
Some Bob Marley on your radio on FBR 94.5. Brought in today by my guest, Damien Brown, who runs John Canoe up in Surrey Hills and also launched a restaurant last night at Good God, which is also going to be doing Caribbean cuisine. And when you when you moved over to Miami to get away from Jamaica, you ended up, your family ended up serving Bob Marley's family, actually. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we did. It was um, because we started... Uh, out serving Rastafarian food, uh, which is called ITEL food. Foods generally cooked vegetarian, cooked without uh, salt, so that you can uh, taste the natural sweetness and the natural salt in the food come out. Um, yeah, and uh, Mother Bee wasn't living too far from where the restaurant was. Uh, you know, the restaurant was called Just Cool. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she used to come every Saturday. Mother Bee is Bob Marley's mother. Um, yeah, and, you know, uh, she was a regular, as I said before, and, and the, the place was really busy. It was packed all the while. It was a small restaurant. There was a queue of Rastafarians and non-Rastafarian <laughs> people, you know, because we didn't discriminate, you know, uh, who we serve. Um, you know, and, and those were the early days of us getting uh, this restaurant thing on the way. Cool. And I, I would like to talk to you about Rastafarianism because I don't really know much. I think my, my knowledge of it is quite shallow. I wonder if it's the same for a lot of other people. I mean, what what is Rastafarianism like as, as a religion, let alone a cuisine? Um, well, there's so many different, um, you know, uh, parts of the Rastafarianism culture. You know, you have 12 tribes, Baba Shanti and these things, it's, you know, uh, I was born Rasta, you know, um, I, I don't practice that anymore, um, you know, out of no dislike or disrespect, it's just that how my life uh, turned into, a, you know, um, Rastafarian, you know, they, they're strict with their diet, uh, with what they eat, um, music they listen to, clothes they wear, um, you know, and, and, and the general day-to-day -day life of who they choose to listen to, on whether it's the radio or on TV. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some parts of it I thought was just a bit too militant for me. I, you know, I, I thought it was a lot uh, freer, um, you know, in my younger days. But as I grew older, it it's just seems a bit too militant sometimes for what me. What do you mean and, by uh, militant? Militant in, in the way of... Uh, you know, because the whole Rastafarian thing was, you know, it's it's it started from Hali Selassie, you know, the great prophet Marcus Garvey had prophesied, you know, there'd be someone in the East that would rise and defy the the colonists, you know, and, um, you know, so he was one of the first in Africa to defend himself against Mussolini. And um, so people saw that as, you know, the prophecy has come true, you know, who's this great man? And his name was actually Ras Tafari. Um, so, you know, that's where the name Ras Tafari comes from. It's in his honor of Emperor Haile Selassie. So, you know, if you've seen images of this great man, you know, he always has this militant presence around him. He wears, you know, uh, suits with epaulets on each shoulders. And, you know, and so a lot of Rastafarian would dress that way. And, um, you know, in a kind of... Uh, defiance against Babylon. <laughs> I, want, I wonder, because I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect between what I think of when I think of Rastafarianism, which is just a, a really kind of narrow idea of like, we smoke weed and listen to this certain <laughs> music and feel really good all the time, and what you're saying about the militantism. So where do you think that disconnect kind of comes in? Um, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a bit lost, um, you know, in, in what it... it I thought it was, uh, you know, as I got older. Um, I guess it's know. all religions. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I still love it. You know, I, I don't dislike it. Will never knock it because that's what I was. And you know, deep down inside of me, a part of me still follows a lot of the faith of it. But um, I, as I got older, I just could not see any real direction where this movement, this religion, this practice was going. So, mm -hmm. um, but you know, it, it is an important part of our culture in Jamaica and in the Caribbean for that matter because it gave us Bob Marley, you know, and, um, yeah. well, it didn't give us Bob Marley, but, you know, he was a firm believer in it. And, um, yeah, so, you know, it's 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 to be respected still. <laughs> and so when, when you guys, when your family was in Miami and New York and still practicing Rastafarianism, what point did you kind of think maybe, maybe it's not for you? Uh... At the point where, 
you know, I, I wanted to learn more about Caribbean food and global food in general. Um, and I then need to, you know, interact with pork and meat and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And that's just not on being a Rasta. Uh, so, so your you know, career and religion came to blows. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And, and food in the middle as the referee. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, something I wanted to do and I went on this you know culinary thing of you know putting myself through university and majoring in culinary arts and to learn more about global food and I was blessed to come across a really good friend of mine you know uh, Jeffrey Murray who you know to this day I consider a solid mentor you know uh, taught me so much more about food you know the ethos of it and um, you know just general mannerisms in the kitchen and yeah. so forth and then you know it, it took another turn for me great well we'll play a song now because you've got one by garnet silk for us and then talk a bit more about your your mentor jeff when you come back from that and so why did you want to play it's growing uh because uh, you know i'm always growing it's growing it's it's a lovely tune um and you know uh this whole food movement here in sydney i think it's growing the caribbean food movement so it, it's you know it's a good tune all right awesome and if we are 94.5 My love is a stepping up My love is a stepping up I know My love is stepping up It's growing There's love inside of me Oh, and it's showing Shining so bright It's growing There's a love of mine share you with someone else it's going this love inside of me oh and it's showing shining so bright it's going i know this love of mine yes it is showing just get high come on my brothers and sisters let's not wait Synchronize our minds It's growing This love inside of me Oh, and it's showing Shining so bright It's growing I know this love of mine Yes, and it's showing Just can't hide A prayer for you And a prayer live in love and harmony only love can set us free it's growing there's love inside of me oh and it's showing shining so bright it's growing only love can set us free love is the now at Newtown Social Club. Husky. Kingswood. Whitley. Wana Molina. Will Wagner of the Smith Street Band. Cabins. Circle Waves. Baby Animals. And Palms. Plus Fishing. Casey Chambers. The Tambourine Girls. Marla Williams with Melody Pool. And True Vibe Nation. Also on the calendar, Harry Manx. Maybe She Will. Castle Coma. Harmony. Bonja. Cold Cave. And Knapsack. Tickets at NewtownSocialClub.com. Sponsoring FBI. Throughout July, tune in to FBI Saturdays from 10 for a little dose of drama. From ghost hunting office workers to teenage yeti. And then Sean said, don't shoot, it's not a ghost, it's a Ku Klux Klansman. 
so I shot it. It was just an electro beam designed to destabilize energy fields. A ghost is essentially energy. What happened to the racists? Bit of brain damage, I think. Some scarring. Oh man, I wish I had a job shooting up racists. Lost Pilots. Radio plays from the dusty mine cupboards of Seton K. Smith and Nick Hunter. Saturdays at 10, followed by All the Best. Ghost Oh my, the girls them sugar How can I make love to a fella in a rush Pass me the keys to my truck Oh my, the girls them luck And I and I, we make love to precious But you have a book again with deep like a bucket Drop your nigga, your nigga can't stitch it Drop your oxen like a cow, you wanna chop it Drop your pickaxe like a gun, you wanna dig it It's like a riverside up on the bank, can you take it? It's like a bicycle, so you hold it and that it So you watch it, so you crash it, she a tell you, say you grab it Girl, she a beg you wanna ball, take it, stop it Batman plug in and me a move like a electric It's like a basketball, she take time out, she vomit We listen to me silent, we listen to me lyrics I mean him and they are me a drop it I said, Sim Sima Who got the keys to my bima? Oh my, the girls them sugar. How can I make love to a fella in a rush? Pass me the keys to my trucks. Oh my, the girls them luck. And I and I, we make love to pressure. Oh, anything she want, I will give it unto she. I can't believe today my friend them tell me that she flee. I don't believe he's angry and I don't believe he's grief. I don't believe he's Susan or the other girls I read. She love for me, she has that is the only thing I need. I don't intend right now just to lose. Suddenly, but yeah, that was Beanie Man. Who am I? Was a track that you just heard. Then brought in by my guest today, Damien Brown, who is an amazing chef. He works at John Canoe in Sydney. It's his restaurant, and also just opened up a new restaurant last night, which is John Canoe uh, what, Canteen. What, canteen, and uh, yes, that started last night. There's going to be a launch coming up, though, isn't there? Yeah, next week. Fantastic. And we were just talking before we went to those tracks. Oh, I should also mention that we played a track before that called. Oh, I forgot. It's growing yep. by Garnet Silk. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. And we were talking about, you know, the fact that you had a, a mentor when you were first, you know, learning about food. Why is it important to have a mentor? Um, well, for me, um, it, it was good because I was taking that step away slightly from the Caribbean food to learn more about food and in a on in a whole. Um, and you know, uh, I was fortunate to to work with a gentleman Jeffrey Murray in Miami and um, who traveled extensively around the world and I you know it really inspired me and just working with Jeffrey when I was a young young gun um, you know it's his ethos his mannerisms how he carried himself in the kitchen I, I really admired and you know, how was that like what, what was different about Jeffrey um, again uh, I don't ever remember him screaming or shouting or uh, you know, getting angry with people in the kitchen, uh, being disrespectful, um, which Never is... Never chucking a Gordon Ramsay? 
No, 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 <laughs> which is, seems to be a bad stereotype of chefs. But, um, you know, and again, just his ethos on food and, um, you know, why he traveled, um, why I should travel to learn about food. And, you know, my eyes just got wider and wider and wider. And then I slowly started to drift away from the Caribbean cuisine type of thing to learn more about other foods of the world. And, yeah, I'm, I embarked on this humongous world travel thanks to him. Fantastic. And so he inspired you to go on a food safari. Where did that take you in the beginning? <laughs> in in the beginning, um, to London, uh, um, because I started that in 98. That was the year of the World Cup, and I, I follow the World Cup um, as much as I can. I've been going since 94. Um, but, yeah, and, uh, you know, from there, um, traveled around Europe, uh, learning, you know, about the European food, working in a few places for little or nothing, um, you know, coming across these screaming chefs and so forth. And then I linked up with Jeffrey again in South Africa and, you know, we worked together there and, uh, you know, and from then I just knew I needed to keep going and see other places. What kind of a place were you working at when you were in South Africa with Jeff? Uh, it was a game safari lodge, uh, best job I've had in my life, uh, just, you know, based on quality of work, um, you know, uh, again, and, you know, the food we work with and working with someone that was so calm, um, you know, wasn't uh, shouting or, you know, uh, it was good. It, it was a good vibe uh, to be in such a beautiful place, seeing, you know, a lion in the wild, an elephant in the wild without any cages or anything. And um, it was great. It's fantastic. So you were you were kind of living and working on just kind of like safari lifestyle. That's right. That's right. That's and, you know, a, a dream was to one day go to a safari and I ended up living and working on one, <laughs> you know, so I was able to kill two birds with one stone. Um, Hopefully no animals, though. <laughs> no, 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 none. Um, yeah, it was yeah, it was it was good. It was it was a real eye opener that I need to continue this travel. Yeah, fantastic. And you mentioned before that, you know, you've encountered the screaming chefs when you're all around Europe. Do you encounter them in Sydney as well? Are they kind of, you know, that that Gordon Ramsay stereotype of the really angry chef that just tantrums? Is that is that kind of widespread? Yeah, yeah, I think it's it, it certainly is, um, you know, and it's going to be our generation, my generation that needs to do something about it um, because as I got older in the kitchen I I got bigger so not too many chefs would want to pick a fight and scream at me um, to say um, you know so I always thought there's just no room for it you know I always thought that there's no room for chefs to be overworked and underpaid and if there is something that I can do about it it's going to start with me you know currently we run a very high uh, wage cost with, you know, our venues. And um, I just always believe that people should be compensated for the work that they do and not abused, um, mm. you know, because good food will never come from stress. Good food will never come from people being shouted at or being, you know, demeaned, um, belittled. Uh, you know, it's not possible. You know, it may taste nice, but I don't think it will be memorable. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know... Uh, you mentioned an experience before, just in the in the break before, where I guess a, an experience like that had left a bad taste in your mouth. Could you talk a little bit about what happened when you were in Piemont? Yeah, uh, it was a restaurant. I I don't remember the name of it. it uh, you know, so to say, something sugar. But uh, I was there with my partner, and um, you know, the angle where she was sitting, uh, she saw witnessed uh, the chef. He slapped a kitchen hand and um you know i her reaction was was you know quite frightening um you know i asked her what's wrong and she told me and i you know i i, w I was really upset by it you know i was you know had i witnessed it you know when it had just happened i you know the I, it would have been a different circumstance i would have tried to take matters into my own hands would have made it an uncomfortable restaurant because there is no need for that, you know, and when I looked around, I saw the distress on this man's face, uh, this kitchen hand's face, and by look, uh, he actually looked older than the chef that raised his hand and hit this guy, so I got the manager's attention and explained you know, what I saw, I didn't like it, and quickly, uh, the food didn't taste as nice anymore, um, mm -hmm. because, you know, that's actually abuse. 
yeah, physical abuse, assault, yeah. all the above. So un unfortunately, it still happens, you know, um, and I will forever, uh, you know, try my best to get rid of it from my part. It's going to start somewhere. It's going to start with someone. And, you know, I'm happy to be one of the chefs to mm. start that. In what kind of regard do you hold your kitchen hands? Oh, as the most important in my kitchen, um, you know, in throughout any meetings that I have with staff, uh, you disrespect my kitchen hands, you disrespect me because uh, these guys are part of the main artery in the kitchen. You know, without them, I don't have clean pots to cook the delicious food. Without them, I don't have a clean environment to work in. Um, without them, I don't have the cultural influence that they may bring, you know, when they're making, proudly making the staff meal for us. And, um, you know, just listening about their stories because, you know, let's face it, kitchen hand is not the most glamorous job in the world, but, you know, someone put their hand up to do it, they should be respected for that, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I have a great respect for them, you know, to the point where uh, eventually I will always work a kitchen hand up to being a cook and then, you know, uh, find their way to working with the food and, you know, and so forth that keep that cycle going. Um, you know, that's how we're going to be able to weed out the screamers and the shouters and, you know, all of these things in the kitchen is starting with humble people. Fantastic. And we've got a track to take right now called Soy Campesino. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, Scar Cubano and why it appeals to you? Uh, well, Scar Cubano, I, I never heard of them until, you know, here in Australia working in the film catering industry. A couple of the guys I've worked with. Uh, Latin Caribbean guys uh, introduced me to this tune, to this band, and um, you know it reminds me of them. All the good times we had working in Australia, and a lot of these film caterers. Fantastic on FBI ninety four point five. My guest today is Damien Brown, an incredible chef, and he worked on lots of different film sets. We'll we'll talk about them all after this track here. It's Scar Cubano with Soy Campesino. Campesino, listo de blanco, usa sombrero y zapato de fondao. Llega un vecino, listo de blanco, usa sombrero y zapato de fondao. Bailo la gaita, fumo tabaco, bailo la cumbia con gran facilidad. Bailo la gaita, fumo tabaco, bailo la cumbia con gran facilidad. Y por eso canto, cumbia tropical, cuando voy bailando, cumbia tropical, cumbia, 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 cumbia tropical, cumbia de Colombia, cumbia tropical. Soy campesino, visto de blanco, uso sombrero y zapato de fondao. Soy campesino, visto de blanco, uso sombrero y zapato de fondao. Bailo la gaita, fumo tabaco, bailo la cumbia con gran facilidad. Bailo la gaita, fumo tabaco, bailo la cumbia con gran facilidad. Y por eso canto, cuando voy bailando, cumbia, 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 cumbia de Colombia. Le voy para acá. 
Capitan. <laughs> <laughs> On FBI 94.5, what a great track. It was called Soy Campesino by Scar Cubano. And you said you blare that kind of stuff on sets, on movie sets, when you're catering for movie sets. You've done Great Gatsby, Bad Boys 2, Mission Impossible 2, Superman, Australia, Mad Max, Pacific. What haven't you done? <laughs> Those are all the movies I've seen in my life. Yeah, well, um, the, the the movie uh, catering thing was just another part of this, you know, my CV, and um, it was great because you know I got to work with some really cool characters, you know, from all over the world, uh, guys with different style of cooking and music, and you know, it was just a really, really cool mix. Yeah, it's it's interesting how music really goes with food. Is that something you've kind of encountered as as a chef throughout your years that, you know, you need certain music for certain cuisine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, the days where we're doing uh, Latin American, Latin Caribbean food, it's no doubt, you know, ska cubana will be pumping, you know, no doubt Afro Cuban all stars will be pumping. Um, you know, because it just makes you in the mood to to make arroz negros or, you know, plantanos or, you know, it, it just comes together nicely fantastic working on working on sets you've obviously got you know a lot of quite high profile people you've got you Nicole Kidman's that you you're serving food to and you know all of these amazing stars like Leonardo DiCaprio do you ever have any issues where you know you've got these celebrities that you know have particular food needs or or you know particularly you know snooty or is everyone really on the same on the same page when you're on a set when you're catering is it easy yeah well well no, uh, to answer that first, um, I, I haven't met any snobby celebs that snob the food or, or the chefs in general. Um, everyone's pretty peaceful and, uh, you know, pretty happy for food because, you know, the, there's common ground with food. And, you know, famous celebrity has told me that, you know, you cook something and they're hungry, they're all going to come and sit down at the table with you and eat. You know, it's it's once it's been an indirect, uh, you know, person that would, would have been the most difficult working on Australia. But um, no, I, I you know I haven't come across any celeb that um, you know gave us a hard time with with any of the food. It's always oh we love this, you know we love that, and you know it's, it's like a relief for them to be off the set and you know be amongst us. Actually, stars like Kim Cattrall have, have said that they like your food so much that they got you to cater for their own events. Does that happen often? Um, not often, but you know I was fortunate with, with her. Uh, you know I met her here in. Uh, Sydney on a commercial and you know we became friends kept in touch uh, went to New York saw her and you know uh, I was with her for a week and did some foods for her for her and her friends um, Martin Lawrence I met on uh, Bad Boys 2 you know did a Super Bowl party for him <laughs> so it, it's not often but when it does it's you know it's 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 nice it's it's good to be recognized and you know the trustworthiness of these high profile people to invite you into their home you know, to, to do these things, you know, it, it's, it was pretty special. Yeah, and, and working on sets, do they all have a different vibe? Do they, you know, is it is every set va vaguely the same or is it kind of vastly a different experience every time you, sh you cater for a different film? Um, no, no, it's different. Um, you know, it depends on, you know, the film you're working on. You know, I, I thoroughly work, enjoyed working in Melbourne now in the Pacific. You know, I was... The biggest set I've ever worked on. Um, I did bring some of my Caribbean flavors to the table as well. You know, again, that's what makes it so fun and so cool to work with so many different guys. Uh, you know, to most recently working on Mad Max. You know, where I thought, you know, it was quite dark. You know, uh, the, you know the props, the you know everything about it. So, you know, th there's some sets that the light's shining, and there's some that's raining, and there's some that's just quite dark you know yeah. and um so yeah it's different experience all around interesting and so the, the i guess the big news in your life at the moment is that last night you kicked off the drunken new canteen at good god small club so what kind of stuff are you going to be doing are you going to be doing things differently to how you did them at drunken new and surrey hills yeah yes i certainly am uh drunken new surrey hills a restaurant you know uh, uh good god canteen is I'd focus more on the street food, food you can hold in your hand um, and eat. Uh, you know, the jerk chicken, jerk pork, that kind of stuff can swing both ways with the you know, restaurants and street food. 
type thing. So yeah, good God is it's it's pretty amazing. You know that you know it's a privilege for these guys to uh, Jimmy to give us a call to you know say this opportunity has come up. You know um, it's come up so sudden too after just opening John Canoe Surrey Hills. So you know um, yeah, it's it's all about the street food approach and small bites, small food sharing and fun eating. And you've got a launch coming up. So what day is that on? Uh, I think it's the Tuesday of next week or or the Wednesday. I'm not sure. It's um it, it's one of those days. It's certainly next week, early next week. Um, mm, fantastic. Yeah. Any information about that you might be able to find on our programs and playlist page because I'm afraid we've actually run out of time, which is just there's so many other things we had to talk about. Oh, I hate it when this happens. But we've had some great music on the show today thanks to Damien Brown. And if you want to find them, it's on our programs and playlist page as well. So you can look up any of the, the you know, Scar Cubano or any of the other tracks that he brought in from Jamaica, which were all phenomenal. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Damien. My pleasure. All right, so next up, you've got Beth coming in to serve you up some lunch, you know, musical lunch, not like Damien would. And the next track we've got, what is it? Who's it by again? Uh, Jimmy Cliff. It's uh-huh. a wonderful world, beautiful people. And um, yeah, it sums up the Caribbean. Uh, it sums up Australia. It sums up the world. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. 